All right, we are live here on Facebook for another exciting night of Bible study. Actually, the last Bible study of 2020. Next Wednesday is our first Christmas Eve service, and the Wednesday after that, we're taking a pause and, and not picking back up until the 20th of January, right? That's the... Yes. Uh, the 20th if, if the, of January? I'm out of town for two weeks. Uh, oh, okay. And we... <laughs> How could we do it without Doug? Exactly. Uh, probably better without me. Well, okay. So I see. So nothing the 6th and the 13th. Right. Well, a couple week pause in the new year and then we'll pick up. Okay. On. And then we're going to start doing Exodus the same way we did January or Genesis in January. Right. Which will fit right in with the St. Matthew and the Word. We should be... We'll actually, finally... we'll actually be past it by that point, um, or, or close to it, I think. Um, the, because we're on the... Let's see. This, this week is... See, because we're filming all these videos so far ahead of time that I'm, I'm forgetting which week I'm on. So This is the 10 plagues coming up. Next week is the 10 plagues. This week is the burning bush uh, right. that we're on. So I know I just knocked out the the, uh, the next few teaching videos there uh, all the way through the Passover. So we're, we're kind of ahead on those. So I just got to keep track of what day I'm on here, what week I'm on. Uh, hey. I will throw a, a shout out to, I know uh, with, with the St. Matthew and the Word stuff, um, we've had, hopefully you've been following along with that folks and you've been uh, seeing the different resources we've been putting online. Um, I noticed today Doug's wife, Kathy, wrote a devotion for one of the weeks coming up. Oh, good. Uh, uh, so that'll, that's exciting that, that she's a part of that. And, um, and lots of other great people from St. Matthew who've been writing devotions. Um, you know, started with a lot of the staff and now, now kind of on to a lot of just folks from St. Matthew and loving uh, hearing some of their insights and reflections on God's word. So if you have not yet uh, found those. They're all on the website. They're all going to stay up there. So make sure you dig in and find those. And I think that, you know, if people can't find it, because whatever, that little magnifying glass, that search, just type in devotions or something like that. And that'll take you, that'll uh, sort through all and you don't have to try to dig where you think it might be either. Hey, I, if I could, I'd like to ask one other question. And that's from Pastor Matthew. All right. I know you're, uh, your avocation is uh, gazing into the heavens through your mic, through your telescope. Sure. Uh, the, the confluence of, is it Saturn and Jupiter? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up here on uh, Monday, on the 21st. And so, and that just from our perspective, what they look like they're touching each other, or is that what the, well, what's the big. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, as they're, they're each in their own rotation uh, or their orbit in the sky. Yeah. And so from our perspective here on Earth, every, I forget now, every 22 years or so, um, Jupiter and Saturn kind of get, get close in the sky. And for us here on the 21st, uh, Jupiter and Saturn, to the naked eye, I think will appear like one, uh, one very okay. bright star in the sky. Uh, through even like low-powered binoculars, um, you should be able to see both of them. Kind of, I, I, what I've what I've heard is if you've ever seen Jupiter through binoculars or through a, a telescope, 
um, you can usually see moons around Jupiter and they kind of stick out a little bit on either side okay. of Jupiter. Um, that Saturn will potentially be as close as those moons to Jupiter. So it should be a really, uh, really unique thing to see. And it's the first time in since like the 1600s that they'll be this close. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was like super rare, like that, like, like 400, 500 years. Cause, yeah. uh, Johannes Kepler, a kind of a famous astronomer thought that was, had something to do with it. He didn't want to say it was the star of Bethlehem, but it, he calculated that it did the same kind of thing very close to the time of the birth of Christ at, again, our numbering system, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he thought it had something to do with this star uh, to bring uh, attention to what God was doing. So, but I, I knew you would have more detail on that too. And it's in the morning, right? It's in the morning in the Western sky? In the evening um, to the Southwest. Okay. I think it's only about the first like hour and a half, two hours after sunset. Okay. Uh, real low to the horizon um, to the South, Southwest-ish. South Okay. Great. And this is next Monday night. Next Monday night. Yep. And I know, like, I won't be able to see it from my house, so I'm, I'm already trying to figure out. Okay, where can I go to, to go see that? So, uh, you don't want to miss that. So, but we are, uh, we're actually on the roof of the church. Won't help you because you'll be going right over the airport. So yeah, the, sun, the light will be blocked out. You might have to come to Doug's house for a watch party. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we are we are past our start time here, so uh, we got folks who are watching along with us here tonight. So, uh, welcome everybody as we do our last Bible study here, looking at Luke chapter one. But uh, before we get into that, how about we start with a word of prayer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these, um, I mean, the liturgical part of of this uh, season is really generates the the selections that are made, although we can't quite figure out the epistle reading, but just that God would act and act soon. Uh, this is the idea of this. And that would be the Old Testament. I don't know if we're going to cover that, Doug, I guess if we have time, but that God would bring to fruition his plan of salvation. So let's, let's pray. So Father, well, we'd all know there's a difference between waiting and expecting. And I pray you will give us expectant hearts to, uh, see you, to receive you, to heed your word to us, and then to live uh, as you would have us live. We see these things in, in Mary, receiving your word and your promise to her, and then submitting, uh, yielding herself to you. And of course, she had that special role and relationship with Jesus that no one else could possibly have. So we thank you for her uh, obedience for her role um, and God we pray that we would carry Christ into the places that we live and work and certainly in our own hearts and our own families and God give us insight into your word tonight we pray it in Jesus name amen amen I think we want to start with the gospel reading which is Luke 1 26 through 38 and then we'll go back to the Old Testament lesson, because I think comparing the two is kind of a, a neat way of looking at that waiting and expecting that you just mentioned, Pastor. So yeah. let's start with the Gospel of Luke 1, 26 through 38. Well, I go, I'll go ahead and read that, and then uh, okay. 
Yeah. In the sixth month from in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O, o favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay. Part of the Christmas story that we're probably familiar <laughs> with. Um, the angel Gabriel coming now to, uh, to Mary six months after the same angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah about John the Baptist. Yeah, I was kind of at first when I saw it, well, what's what six month is this? But it's actually, um, you know, I think, you know, we're we're reading this, what? Well, in church on December 20, 20th, obviously today. Uh, but this would be nine months before Jesus would be born. So if the dating were right, this would be March 25th. Which is when on the liturgical calendar, at least that's the, the annunciation mm-hmm. um, falls on that day. Yeah, and it, it's in the middle of Lent usually. And uh, it's like, okay, right. <laughs> we're not focusing on that too much. Yeah. That's one of those ones that, that slips by most folks. Cause it's just not on, on our radar at that point in time, but, but it is on the church calendar. Yeah, but but what I mean, what I was, it's because of the proximity to Christmas, we see, oh, this is linked to Christmas. And it is, but it's a little longer. It's a much longer time frame than six days. Right. So when you mentioned Gabriel um, also speaking to Zechariah, which happens just earlier in this chapter, the, the kind of the previous scene, um, Gabriel also shows up in Daniel. Uh, so Gabriel is is one that that appears in the Old Testament, the New Testament. One of um, one of the notes that I had here talks about in in Jewish literature. Um, so kind of even outside of the Old Testament stuff, he's he's one of the seven archangels, and I can't remember oh, wow. if all seven are named in the Old Testament and New Testament or not. Um, I know there are there are several because there's like the archangel Michael, uh, isn't there? Raphael or something like that isn't that another one of them mentioned in like Revelation why do I think that I don't remember I feel like there's another one mentioned in Revelation somewhere 
I don't know that there's more than the two mentioned in scripture, Gabriel and um, Michael. I, th I think that's, but I do know from outside, like the Apocrypha, I think it might be. Maybe I'm thinking about from there. Um, but Gabriel's only mentioned, oh, but you said it's in, in uh, Daniel also. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, at least according to kind of some of the, the Jewish literature about him, um, you know, that, that his presence here, um, it, well, his presence to someone. So he only speaks to Daniel, to Zechariah, and to Mary um, is one that uh, signifies the importance of the message that's being delivered. And so all three of those messages are very important um, and God's favor towards the recipient. And so, you know, you, you kind of get that in all three of those stories where this is there, this is a significant message and you're receiving this because you have, God has found favor in you in, in some way. But kind of special that only those three people, at least according to, to scripture, um, are the only ones who he brings a direct message to. Mm-hmm. I think the getting very much into the lowliness of the thing of Nazareth, very small town, not even the biggest in that area. Um, Mary being a young, young lady, certainly not considered, you know, a VIP in her day and age and in her town. Um, and yet God is doing something great in these unlikely places. Again, this reversal of human thought and human reason right. that we run across so often in the old testament one of the the notes that i've got here um kind of suggests that because luke is saying luke is specifying like where nazareth is that he's probably writing to people who have no clue where nazareth like he's got a you know the it's like, you know, the town of Grand Rapids, which is in Michigan in the United States, like you got to kind of clue someone in where this is. Um, so it's, it's a very insignificant place that it's happening. Mm -hmm. But God knew where, where it was and, and uh, sends Gabriel right there. And for Mary, this has got to be just, you know, it was up until this moment, at least an ordinary day. She's not expecting or waiting for God to speak to her. You know, this is like a completely out of the blue happening for her. Which you kind of understand the don't be afraid when, when, when an angel shows up to you, I'm going to be afraid. Mm-hmm. That's right. They're not the reaction. cuddly creatures that we show them to be. Right. Most often that's how they open their statements is don't be afraid. So. Right. Yeah. When you, when you, uh, when we picture angels today, you know, we picture those cute little cherubs, uh, the little, the little fat flying babies with itty bitty wings, or you picture, you know, the, uh, the real elegant, Christmas tree topper angel kind of picture. Um, the biblical picture of angels is, is a little more scary. <laughs> they don't exactly look like people with wings necessarily, or not all of them at least. 
Yeah, the what verse is that? The 29, she was greatly troubled. Um, that word, and I was just looking at my uh, translation here, it's really more confused and, and uh, don't get all mixed up here. Don't get discombobulated here, Mary. Um, Cause she can't figure out what, what this uh, greeting is all about. Right. And I like that in that next verse. So the, you know, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God, um, which, which really echoes some of what we've heard in the old Testament, even in Genesis of like, that was, that was the same kind of phrase used for Noah, right? You know, Noah found favor in the eyes mm -hmm. of God. Um, and it, it kind of connects us back to earlier parts of the story. Others who, uh, you know, not because they were special, but God, uh, they found favor in God's eyes. Yeah, it's uh, Karis, it's that graced, you're, oh, oh, graced one, oh, favored one. Yeah, the Lord is with you. I think uh, since we're going to probably peek into that Old Testament reading that uh, the tie-in would be that, that 27, Joseph being of the house of David, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a big deal in that Old Testament reading. That is essentially the Old Testament reading is about David. So do we want to jump back there now? Uh, there's, you know, or, or, I mean, there's more we can say about Mary. Okay. You're just setting Let's, the stage. Yep. Um, so because she is a, a virgin who is betrothed to be married, um, you know, really she's probably a, a young teenager at this point in time. Um, not very old, less than 20 years old, um, when, when this is happening. And, um, at least from the notes that I was looking at here, it's, it's probably more like that 14 to 17 year old. Um, mm -hmm. so a very young girl and you know women in this culture were not highly regarded not like they were um, you know nothing but certainly she's not a favored person uh, she's not a celebrity in her town or anything like that um, she's just a, a a lowly young woman going through an average day and uh, her betrothal uh, to, to Joseph, most people understand that to be, hey, this is a quasi-arranged marriage. Parents know the, the two and said, okay, you guys would make a good team or a good, a good husband and wife. Yeah, and, and even it's even more, um, you know, we might think of that as, as like engagement, but it's really even more than being engaged um seems like that that took place about a year before mm -hmm. the, they were they were considered married um but in that time they were often referred to as husband and wife um even uh, matthew in his gospel refers to um joseph as her husband even though they're still at that point betrothed um so it was it was really what, 90% of marriage basically already at that point? Yeah, it was just, it just, 
it was going to happen. It just had the date hadn't been taken care of yet. Right. Because like we, like we hear in Matthew's gospel, um, when Joseph decides that he's going to break this off, um, it's not like you just say, well, the wedding's off. Um, it actually requires the legal action of divorce in order to end it. Um, so it's, it is a little more binding than what we would consider engagement today. Right. Not quite the same parallel. Yeah, the marriage customs is an interesting uh, uh, study too. And, and in the Old Testament in, in Deuteronomy, um, you know, there are penalties for, a, for, for sexual infidelity during that betrothal period, um, you know, which, which is why um, she's a little concerned about this. And I love that, you know, we didn't read the first part of the chapter, but if you know Zechariah's story, Zechariah the priest, when Gabriel says, you guys are going to have a baby, he's like flabbergasted and objects to it, where Mary, this, this young woman, her, just, her, her question is, is practical. I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? This is, this is impossible. And she's not, um, you know, objecting. She's just curious. How? how? Yeah, I wanted to ask your, uh, I'm going to ask a question later on, on her response to all this. So, but I didn't know if, if we wanted to get into the name of Jesus. And I mean, there's so much imagery in all this that it, these next verses here too. But there certainly was that there was no sexual uh, relations between Joseph and Mary at this time. That was that was taboo, even though they were going to become married. It was still not. It was everything but that right part of the marriage, the consummation. And you get the uh, the reference later when I can't remember who specifically it is is calling Jesus out on, you're not even sure who your father is, is clearly there are rumors in their discussion that who is, who is the father in this case, because there's something almost unseemly to the, to the unknowing onlooker of this, mm -hmm. of Joseph wanting to, to end it quietly. And she's pregnant yet. She's not supposed to be yet. So Clearly, even at the time of Jesus' adult life, 30 years later, there are still people that are saying, exactly who's your father again? Mm -hmm. It's scandalous. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, the ancient church fathers had to address that as one of the slams against Christianity that, yeah, that Mary had some adulterous affair and, yeah, these claims of that. Well, and certainly um, modern folks today, especially those who are skeptical of, of God's word and those who um, more on, on kind of the, the liberal side of Christianity, where you want to explain away all the miraculous stuff, um, mm -hmm. will just say that, you know, Mary must have either, um, you know, slept around and, and got pregnant by somebody else or was raped or something happened. Um, and it just kind of snowballed into the story that we have now. Um, or Joseph was the dad and it just, you know, kind of the story was projected. Back it. To it. Yeah. 
but clearly this is written to, to show the miraculous hand of God. Right. And the theological reason, I mean, therefore, where is that? You'll name his name, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And uh, yeah, where all those things that he is a sinless, not because of Mary, but because of the Holy Spirit, because God is his father. That's why Jesus is, is sinless. He will be called the son of the most high, verse 32. And that brings you to the whole, he has, God has to be totally human and totally divine, 100% God and 100% man from the female side, the humanity, and from the godly side. So, right. Which the early church really wrestled with for a while. Um, you know that that brought about some of the uh, different statements of faith that we have, even like the uh, the Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed, right? Grew out of that that debate of like, how do we bring divine and human together? Like, you know it. We, we get that from God's word, but how does that happen? And trying to make sense of it. Um, and there were all sorts of different ways of trying to explain it. And they, they often ended up, you know, erring in one direction or another. If you, it's kind of fascinating if you really want to, if you want to like theologically nerd out and um, <laughs> go through the history of, of the um, Christology stuff and see like, how did we try to explain all the different ways that divine and human come together and what are all the shortfalls? It's, it really is a fascinating uh, dive there. Well, I can, we'll give one little factoid here. So as you said, the, the Nicene Creed 451 uh, at that debate, I'm, well, I'd have to double check for sure. But St. Nicholas is actually a bishop, and he got, he got punched out by this area, Arius, who didn't want to believe that Jesus was truly God. He was, he was kind of God-like, but he wasn't truly God, and they got into a fistfight over it. So these guys uh, took, their, <laughs> took it pretty seriously and oh. really got into it, too. We don't have to have a fight about it, but it is, <laughs> it is good to nerd out about it, too. But as you said, Doug, it matters. If he's not God, well, then how do we know our sins are forgiven? If he's not man, how do we know my sins are forgiven? Because I'm, I'm a person. I'm a human being. I forget who it was that said it. Because um, there was one of the theories was like, well, he was, he was all man except for like his mind, you know, they, they tried to put that, that logos, the, the word of God was, you know, was the mind. So you had like these two pieces kind of together. Um, and I, one of the church fathers whose name escapes me at the moment had said, you know, what, what is not assumed is not saved, I think is the way he said it. So like if, if, if everything but Jesus mind was, was man, well, then Jesus can't like, it's it, like it leaves out that part of of saving humanity if if he's not fully human. Fully. Mm -hmm. So he has to be fully human and fully divine, and it is that you know one plus one equals one kind of scenario. Yeah, it is a fascinating history and and how deep they dove into this and you know and again I think it's 
it's instructive because I think most people think, well, ancients were kind of dolts, you know, they didn't, they didn't think deeply. These, <laughs> I mean, you read that stuff and it confuses you. I mean, you got to really dive deep to hang with these guys. Right. I'm trying to find um, quickly in my notes here and I, I don't have it. The, the negations of Chalcedon, you remember those? Um, the, the way that they described how the two natures come together. And it's like the only way they could describe it is by saying, well, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. And, and it's like, it's, it's so hard to say what it is, but we can say, well, it's not like without, it's like without mixing, without mingling, without, uh, I don't remember the other, the other words that they used, but and yeah, when you try to try to put into words, God made flesh. It just escapes definition. When the best way you can talk about it is to say what it's not, that's yeah. telling you this is a complicated thing. Well, that's kind of what the Bible does with heaven. It doesn't, I mean, it is in the presence of God, but it's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears. You know, it, it tells you what it's not, but. Right. So what is it? <laughs> yeah. Because you don't have a context for it. You can't really tell what it is. Yep. And the same, this union of God and man and the incarnation certainly is that mysterious, um, deep thing that is received through faith. So while we're on the, the subject of um, kind of the early church fathers, one of the commentaries I have uh, quotes from them a lot on this. Uh, it's a, this is a church father that I have not heard of before, uh, Stichera. I don't know if you've come across that at all, um, but I loved this phrase here. Um, the angel rejoices over Mary as the place of God's glory for God borrows Mary's flesh to lead mankind to glory. Hmm. I, I like, I like that, that image of, you know, borrowing Mary's flesh um, to, to bring about this. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the author. Stichera. Hmm. S-T-I-C-H-E-R-A. Don't know who he is, but I, I I liked that image that he he had there. So let's interject the Holy Spirit here in thirty five. The angel answered, "The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born." Uh, will be called the Son of God. And so this is this is God accomplishing this in Mary's life. I don't have a lot more uh, on that. I just. Oh. Uh, but he also, you know, the angel goes on to say, you know, that that connection to uh, the previous story here. Um, you know, so your your or your your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant. Um, you know, this is God is God is at work here, um, and this is this is a sign for you of of God's work that them in their old age now are having a baby who is John the Baptist, which is that reminder of John the Baptist and Jesus just a few months apart in age. Um, 
and that's that verification that uh, the the external. I mean, she would know that Elizabeth is pregnant, and now she she has that same angel, you know, telling her this promise from God. Right. But again, the 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 therefore in thirty five because it's the Holy Spirit overshadowing her uh, and causing this birth. Therefore, the child is holy. And of course, we could get into all the Mariolid, you know, the, the over uh, what emphasis on Mary, but she sure, certainly has a, a very unique role in the history of our salvation. Right. You know, even even Luther, um, you know, so Luther coming out of the Catholic Church, um, which very much venerated Mary, um, and and over time had come to say that Mary was perpetually a virgin, um, right? And that was one of those things that Luther was like, yeah, I kind of don't have a problem with that if she is or she isn't. Like he didn't really seem to to quibble with that a whole lot. Where I think today we'd say, you know, it's, I mean, even. The fact that it mentions in scripture Jesus' siblings. Oh, there's sisters, uh, so yeah. Pretty sure Jesus was the only immaculate conception there. Uh, right. But um, yeah, I, what I was going to ask you so 34. So Mary asks, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel it gives her a good answer. Um, Zechariah asks the same question, and he gets smote for it. I just wondered what your thoughts were between the difference between those two. So I'm mean, just backing up. Yeah. 118. 18? Yeah, 118. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is in advanced in years. And so the angel says, I'm Gabriel. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe the, my words. Yeah, it, I think the, the difference there is from the angel's point of view that it's some skepticism mm -hmm. that, that he has versus Mary's practical side of, I'm, I'm just a virgin. I, I know how this works and what has to happen hasn't happened yet. So mm -hmm. when you talk about somebody like Zechariah, um, who it's funny because when you when you start reading the story from the beginning um, of Zechariah, you know, old couple, been praying for a child, wanting a child, hoping for a child. It's like immediately your mind goes to Abram and Sarah, um, right. you know, who who have been waiting for this. And um, as a priest, he would have known the Old Testament and known all about Abraham's life backward and forward. And so when he hears this promise from God, that's the same promise or a very similar promise to what Abraham heard rather than being like, cool, God can do it. He's like, what? Um, you know, so it, it's sort of that backwards, the guy who should have been, okay, um, thanks for letting me know that this is happening um, is the one who's how and Mary, yeah. and Mary, the one who, you know, just ask the practical question and has really no other objection, no other, um, you know, for her versus for Zechariah. Zechariah, um, you know, it's going to be a remarkable thing that an old couple at, at their age has a child. 
but is it he's asking for verification of this kind of like asking for a sign that kind of Jesus condemns uh, or whoever the people of Capernaum or something that they want to sign all the time for this or the Jewish authorities and Zechariah is saying how can I how can I believe this and Mary's just saying like you said how is this going to work out I don't I, yeah right but but for Mary you know for her these words are, are are serious. I mean, this she she faces persecution from her community. Um, she faces being exiled from her family. Really, she faces death because of this. She could under under the Mosaic law, she could be stoned um, if if they thought she was uh, being um, unfaithful during her mm -hmm. betrothal here. Um, so for her, this is. These are serious things where for Zechariah, it's like, you're married, you have a wife, people might be a little surprised, but it's not like it's outside the realm of um, you know, normalcy for a, a couple to have a, a husband and wife to have a child that is theirs. Um, Mary, this is a bigger deal. As you say, Zechariah has got, he should know the Abraham and Sarah example from the Old Testament, whereas Mary has got nothing at all to base this on. And yet her words are, um, I'm Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled. Yep. <laughs> uh, kind yes. of a very much go, go ahead. Yep, guess this is happening. So I guess that that's how I make sense of that, that difference there between the two questions. And was the whole not speaking thing more of a a curse or was it more of a this is part of the sign? Um, is you think I can't do that here? You're not going to say a word until it happens. <laughs> right. Uh, Maybe a little of both. Well, it's he's rebuked for lack of faith. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Zechariah. I really feel like in the. I know we're not reading this part of the the text here, but um, you know, in the in the story of of Zechariah and and Gabriel's encounter there, um, you know, Zechariah saying, "Well, how how will I know this? I'm an old guy. My my wife is is advanced in years," and and Gabriel's response is, "I'm Gabriel," <laughs> like to give his name. Um, Hello, I am the angel sent from God here. Um, and I think it says, I stand in the presence of God, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. Um, you know, this is, it's like, why are you doubting? <laughs> you must be important when you can just give your name. And that's as the answer to the question. But he does invoke God's name. Then. <laughs> he does, right. But yeah, rather, rather than just right away, give the explanation of what's happening. He's like, dude, I'm Gabriel. You know that that scroll of Daniel you got sitting over there that mentions me like I'm that guy. <laughs> and 37 is certainly a great reminder, great uh, uh, proclamation. Nothing, no matter, will be impossible with God. 
if he wants to do it, matter of when. How does uh, the ESV translate 37? For nothing will be impossible with God. Interesting. Uh, NIV, for no word from God will ever fail. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It is frema, which is a word, but it's kind of that idea that his word causes things to happen. You know, he creates by his word. Mm -hmm. Is that the NIV 2011? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the NIV 2011 is the for no word from God will ever fail. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, various translations here too, yeah. That's funny. So the, the New American Standard, which is usually like the, the most literal word for word, um, is almost exactly the ESV for nothing will be impossible with God. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, it's, it's that same idea. So Doug, what do you get out of this? All right, this encounter, this uh, narrative? Are we talking overall? Uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, what's the application or the, um, you know, the import that you, you pull out of this? Uh, there, there's a lot of, a lot of important things going on here. Um, putting terms of the, the Christmas story, um, we're getting the coming of the Messiah, um, mm -hmm. The whole in 37 where we just read that no word from God will ever fail. And then there's Mary's attitude about the thing is just her acceptance of it all. Mm -hmm. And her example, her. I think that we did look at the Old Testament, that obedience of faith that because she believed. Okay, let's go. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but. I tr I'm trusting you, God. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> I put words in your mouth on that one. <laughs> no, I just hadn't really summarized it in quite that way. So I... We had talked about looking back at the Old Testament lesson. Well... I'm preaching on this Sunday, so I was I was looking oh. for. Uh, I, I'm trying to. You're looking for some some sermon help here from us. I see. Yeah, I was trying to. Okay, because well, uh, obviously we as pastors we look at texts a lot, and I just I find it fascinating, and that's why I like the devotions, as you mentioned at the top of the of our, our time here. I like to hear how uh, lay people process God's word. I think too, what's, what's always um, for me so inspiring about Mary's story is just her complete and total surrender. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she submits her, and you know, we talk about, you know, give your life to Christ sort of a thing. You hear that language thrown around in, in different Christian circles. I mean, she literally gives her life to, to God and, and his will, um, not only her life, but her body. I mean, take my body and, and use it to uh, bring your son into this world. It, this is like whole and entire um, Mary submitting herself to God's will, which 
I mean, how many of us can say we've done that? Uh, that whole 100% is God's. Yeah, I was somewhere, I can, and because I was reading a lot of stuff, but uh, said of the dual relationship that she had. She is a sinner who is in touch with her Savior, but she's Jesus' mother. She's Jesus' mom, right? And she's the one who, <laughs> you know, raised him and uh, certainly was there at his crucifixion and resurrection as well. But uh, yeah, her life is entwined with his very unique role. You know you have a very unique role when you are the one to potty train the Messiah. You know, yeah. I've got uh, right. Yeah, the, uh, about Jesus being fully human, he was fully human. You know, you, when you change the 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 Godhead's diaper, um, you are in a very unique role. So should we jump? That seems to be the the whole point of the angel almost. Mary, we just want to make sure you're in on this one. Because as soon as she said, okay, that's good. All right, done. <laughs> Back to the presence of God. And before maybe we we uh, move kind of quickly here to the, the Old Testament, I do just have a, one comment that came in from on Facebook from, from Liz, uh, your wife, Rob, just saying, uh, thankful that Mary asked the question of how can this be so that the angel would be able to give this explanation of, of Jesus' deity. Um, so she's, she's thankful for that, uh, that question that Mary asks there and, and the response that we get. So should we look at the, the Old Testament here? Yeah. Is it second Samuel? Second Samuel seven, uh, one through 11 and then 16. So I've got this one here. I can read this for us. Okay. Uh, now when the king, so this is talking about David here, uh, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should uh, be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be dis uh, disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And then picking up at verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
So just setting the stage a little bit on this one, David is a king who's used to being at war and he has a time when he's at peace. And he's got his buddy, his best friend, Nathan there, who's not only his best friend, but kind of his pastor. And he, at this, he says, David says at the beginning, here's what I want to do. And Nathan says, go for it. This God's going to bless it because he's blessed the other stuff. And then as soon as Nathan has a, uh, has a chat with God that night, um, it says the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So it becomes a, who's, who is David to build my house? Did I ask him to do it? Um, and David essentially gets shut down on this idea of building a temple, but God passes that word through Nathan. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's a commendable thing for David to, to think about, you know, as he sits there in his, his beautiful palace and the, the ark of God, God's, the symbol of God's presence on earth there is in a pup tent outside. It's like, you know, this, this feels a little off. I'm in this nice place. We should have a nice place for the presence of God. And logically, Nathan says, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's do it. The, the key, the house is the, I mean, it's used in three different ways here. That's the kind of the wordplay throughout this, talking about the literal house, but then the, the tabernacle house, the house of God, and then house as the lineage or the dynasty. Dynasty, yeah. But so much of what God has done, I mean, that whole section from, I don't know what verse, verse eight, maybe all the way through. <laughs> it's just every sentence is God's a subject of every, I did this for you, David, you were a shepherd. I made you a king. You were, you know, you were nothing. <laughs> I, I took care of you. And if, if David, if David needed any sort of reminder of, um, you know, who, who was the one who needs, needs something or needs nothing. Um, God's making it very clear. Like, I don't need you for nothing. Yeah. You, you rule at, at my pleasure here and I do stuff because I'm God. I'm doing things for you. You don't need to do anything for me. And yeah, just kind of presumptuous that you think you're doing me some big favor. (laughs) Look at, I've been gracious to you and I will continue, especially in a time when, you know, Kings were changing like light bulbs, you know, they just went through them one after the other and the, this kingdom would would rise through uh, Jesus and carry on through that Davidic lineage all the way through Mary and Joseph. It's interesting, too, is David's called a man after God's own heart. I always love that line. And yet at the same time, David has done some colossally stupid things is you have the whole Bathsheba thing and uh, he's he's made some mistakes that are very large yet in his heart, he keeps turning back to God. He's not a man without sin. Um, he is, he's a man after God's own heart. Um, so it's, it's an interesting phrase that we hear about David, um, is that 
his heart's in the right place is always kind of the way I think of it. Yet he's not a man without sin. Yeah, I've, I've often, you know, reading through the Bible, tried to figure out the difference between Saul and David. And uh, David would, would repent. I mean, because he did, he did whoppers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> big in obedience, but also big in disobedience too. I mean, not just the Bathsheba story, but other things are just, what were you thinking? How could you ever do this? But he, he has that willingness to listen to the word of the Lord too. Um, and, and very often it comes through Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Or a prophet or a word. Yeah. That is that, do you know, is that word used? I'm trying to think it's only applied to David as far as I'm, I know. Which we'll word? That. Maybe in 2025 and then through our Bible study here, but. Which word? That a man after God's own heart. Is that used in any other reference of the Bible? I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the top of my head, I don't recall. I'll have to do some research on that. But yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite Lying descriptions of David. And then you get to Saul, or I'm sorry, not Saul, um, Solomon, who is praised for wisdom and, and other things. Yet again, not a man without sin, simply he's he's looking for, he learned enough from David to know when he prays to God, he asks that he can rule wisely and God grants him that mm-hmm. and more. Along with building the temple. Uh, we don't, don't read it, but the rest of that chapter is a prayer of, of, I mean, the heading of that, that next section is David's prayer of gratitude. He realizes, God, you have, you have <laughs> richly blessed me. And that you will continue is amazing. So when we contrast and combine this with Mary, uh, how do these two tie together? <laughs> Well, I think it's the, the promise that God is saying, I will establish this dynasty. And the Mary is, is the, okay, this is the fulfillment of that. Now, there's still more to come. Uh, his kingdom as, as uh, it, you know, his kingdom of grace and ultimately the heavenly kingdom. But that's still to come. But this is the further, this is the fulfillment of that promise to to David in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you have from, from Gabriel there that uh, um, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. So there's that lineage and, and the throne. Um, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Um, Jesus is the really the ultimate fulfillment of that promise to David that I'm going to, I'm going to, give you a kingdom. I'm going to build you a house, uh, a dynasty, and and that dynasty is going to be great. And there's that immediate fulfillment in Solomon, because Solomon does build the temple, and and the 
the kings who come from David and from Solomon, um, you know, there's, they have their ups and their downs, they have their moments, and then they have their not so good moments. Um, but then you, you know, you re it really reaches its fulfillment in Jesus as the ultimate one, uh, the ultimate fulfillment of that. Well, think about Jesus's words when he's talking and he says, this temple I will destroy and in three days rebuild it. As he is the ultimate fulfillment there. He, he's saying of himself, I'm going to, I'm going to be back in three days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, the place of the temple, the building of the temple uh, as a, as the location where God's presence is on earth, um, that's going to go away because I'm here. Um, which I think that's another connection to the Mary story here. Um, Mary is, in a sense, a, a version of the Ark uh, of the Covenant or the, the Temple because God is dwelling within her. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost a foreshadowing even of what we hear from Paul of God dwells within us in our hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, he dwelled inside of Mary uh, was sort of the beginning of that um, kind of connection there. Interesting. You can use that in your sermon. I'll give you permission. <laughs> a great theologian once said. There you go. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot else on uh, on the David and Nathan story other than wanting to tie it into where we're at. But Jesus being a king in the order, in the line of David, confounded a people too. I mean, his kingdom is not of this world, you know, all of those kinds of things. And that was so maddening. And we, I think we see it in our politics today. We think of God's chosen one going to, just bring God's rule to the world. And hmm, it's not really the New Testament theology. He comes through humbleness and he comes through winning hearts over. Yeah, it's, it, it is that upside down backwards uh, compared to the way the world works, uh, mm -hmm. the, way, the way God's kingdom functions in this world. And so we live by faith as Mary did, as David did. Uh, but nothing's impossible with the Lord. No word what shall fail or however you want to translate that passage. Well, we should wish blessings for Christmas. God's peace to you, Doug and Kathy and Matthew. And we'll, we'll be at church a few uh, extra services here coming up. But we got a good message to proclaim. Yep. One week from tonight, our first, uh, first Christmas service will be wrapping up here right about now. You want to plug the times on that again? Sure. Yeah. For anybody who's watching, um, if you have not yet registered uh, for tickets for Christmas Eve, you are going to want to get on that because uh, the two Christmas Eve services in the uh, Family Life Center are already full. Um, the, the service on the 23rd in the Family Life Center, I think last time I looked had four seats left. Um, now there are seats available in the sanctuary. So we're going to stream the service from the, the Family Life Center into the sanctuary. 
Um, so it'll be a little bit like watching what you'd watch online, um, but with other folks watching there in the room. And then we'll also, uh, like when, when we do communion, um, we'll serve communion in there too. Um, so you will be able to watch it from in there. But if you haven't yet gotten uh, seats um, for, one, please don't just show up without getting reserving tickets because we want to make sure we've got a good spot for you and a safe crowd there and everything. So please, 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 please sign up beforehand and uh, and and join us. Yeah, and the and the reason is we want to be, you know, in this COVID season, we want to provide a safe spot and we don't want people distracted by, um, you know, leery of, uh, you know, contamination. So we do want to take care that we don't put too many people together uh, in one spot. So right. that's if the you are not able to or not comfortable to join us. Uh, all three of those will be broadcast online. So um, you'll be able to watch each of those on Facebook and on the website uh, on the 23rd at seven and on the 24th at five and seven. And then will they be rebroadcast anytime you can watch them afterwards? Are you? Uh, yeah, once once they happen on Facebook, they're there. Uh, anybody, you can watch them on there. Um, okay. And on the website, it takes like a day or two to load, doesn't it, through that company? Or there's a there's a little there's a little delay before we can get them on the website. But yep, they will be eventually on the website. And Facebook, I think you have to scroll sometimes through some things, but it's there. You just have to locate it. Yep. Yeah, we don't ever pull them down on Facebook. Uh, okay. They just get a little buried. As well as these are all available online, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. So, Doug, you have, uh, you'll be gone for a little bit traveling in the new year? After Christmas in the new year. Uh, so, we're, uh, we're, uh, that's why we're not starting up uh, the, the exodus until uh, the second week or third week of third Wednesday of January. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do some traveling to Florida after Christmas. So, And uh, I assume you will both be in town for Christmas uh, since the job requires it. <laughs> that's why we're here. Uh, well, we'll have a little time, a little breather. And it's certainly a different Christmas this year too, yes. but it's still uh, God's word and, and faithfulness and people need the comfort and the joy. It's been a, it's been a trying year, but it's not that God hasn't been active. It's just that it's been different for us. And um, yeah, we'll see. God's going to reveal good things for us. Yep. If anything, it's a good reminder of, uh, you know, Jesus comes into our mess and he joins us here and what a mess 2020 has been, but well, maybe, uh, how about in, instead of a prayer or in addition to a prayer, uh, maybe we, we close with the text that we haven't, haven't read yet from, uh, Romans, which is a, uh, a good, good doxology, a good, uh, a good kind of ending, ending thought here. So I can read that from, would you uh, thank you. From Romans 16, uh, 25 to 27 here. Uh, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith the to the only wise God be, the, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Alleluia. <laughs> and great blessings to everybody who's online with us too and watching. God's peace. Bye, everybody.